Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. John chapter number nine, and amen. You know, we have uh, this grand thing called a cell phone now, you know, days. Um, so, you know, you can call anybody at any time. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But I remember whenever it used to, you know, if a parent was late or something like that, uh, you just was just in the balance until they got home or so on and so forth. You didn't know really th- anything about that. And so... I, I, I just despise not being able to get a hold of my wife sometimes, although she has a phone, and she despises that toward me as well. And uh, one day this week, I came back to the church uh, in the afternoon to do some studying, and I have this little clip in my car that I keep my phone in typically whenever I'm driving, and I had other things I grabbed as well out of the car whenever I got back here at the church except for the phone, right? So I'm in my office just, you know, really touching the throne of God, you know, for a Wednesday night and such. And all of a sudden, the door to my office just flings open and says, it flung open. And it was like, you know, yeah, I guess you're alive and well. I was like, what in the world are you talking about? I tried calling you X number of times and I've texted you and all. And it dawned on me. It dawned on me then that I'd left my phone in the car and, uh, the rapture hadn't taken place and no but anyway so modern conveniences you know boy can really strike fear in the heart of a person if you can't get a hold of them uh, but i'm here tonight and uh, thank the lord for that john chapter 9 i'm going to start reading with verse number 13 so if you ever see me without my phone please ask me about it so that i can find it in case my wife is calling me or texting me yeah, it's true. I am getting more forgetful. I always blame it on having too much to remember. Not necessarily I'm getting older. i got to remember more than what I used to. So, I don't know. We'll see how long that works. John 9 and verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees. And again, this is still yet. This is a story of a blind man who was healed. He was blind from birth, but he was, he was made whole. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. He's already been uh, the miracles already taken place at this point. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay upon my eyes and I washed and do see. Seems pretty simple, don't it? Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? There was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, what sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them saying, is this your son? who ye say was born blind, how then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now seeth we know not, or who hath opened his eyes we know not. 
for he is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again, they called, then again called they the man that was blind. So here we are again. And said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. Again, they're speaking of Jesus. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they, oh, I'm going a little too far there. I said I'd stop at verse 25, so I'll stop. We'll touch it here in a moment. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about this conceited blindness. I know that might seem peculiar, maybe to put those two words together, but you understand what I'm talking about, hopefully, by the time we end. Conceited blindness. Amen. Lord, we come to you tonight. We're thankful again, Lord, to be in your house. We're thankful, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity to be here. God, those that are gathered together here, God, we want to learn of your word. Help it, Lord, to touch our hearts and our lives. And God, perhaps word, Lord God, to live by. And Lord Jesus, God, order our path by. We'll not fail to thank you for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you tonight. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. So there is this constant uh, interrogation or um, ploy of the Pharisees of trying to find out about this man that was made whole of his blindness and more particularly the person responsible for making this individual whole. And the difficulty of the Pharisees is this, is that the Pharisees did not truly understand who Jesus was, all right? They did not understand who he was. They could not get beyond the fact of him being born just as any other man would have been born. So they didn't truly understand that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, as Scripture tells us. And so with that being said, they did everything within their power to dismiss what Jesus did. Uh, the, the things that were notably seemingly signs or miracles or wonders or even some of the things that he said, they, they would try to just dismiss those things because, again, to them, he's just another man. And so first, if you consider some of the things that they did first, they couldn't accept that Jesus, as I said, was God or necessarily that he would be instrumental in giving a blind man sight because that kind of goes beyond uh, the spectrum of a man being a man. No man can do that. You know, there's no man that can do that. And so they, they tried to discount that. And yet, again, they also uh, bring some trouble Jesus' way because if that did take place, then this is something that took place on the Sabbath day and we're supposed to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy according to their Old Testament law. And so it would have been sinful for someone to have done this in their opinion. Secondly, they didn't believe that the blind man, we read it in the scripture, they even didn't believe that the blind man was ever blind. You know what, this is really the whole, this is the whole scheme. He said he was made whole and that he was healed of his blindness. Well, that's great because he was never blind. He was just, you know, acting like it. 
And now he comes for sin and everything. And so they just tried to then discount the miracle. It's no big thing because it wasn't uh, ever a problem. Blindness was never a problem for him. And so they are approaching this miracle that's recorded in Scripture two different ways. Number one, they're either going to discredit the miracle worker, worker or they're going to try to discredit the miracle. And that's the, common, that's the common way in which it normally goes. Discredit the miracle worker or discredit the miracle. And the thing is, if you question the miracle worker, but the miracle is valid, then that's a hard one to overcome. You know, if you're trying to discredit the one who's responsible for it, but it indeed happened, that's a hard one to overcome. However, if you can disgrace the miracle in some way, then you may have a little bit of leeway, uh, uh, you know, about whether or not the miracle worker is legit, you know, because if the miracle didn't really happen or you can maybe uh, pose it in such a way it didn't happen, you have some room to work about whether or not the miracle worker truly is or not. And so when the blind man's parents confirm him being born blind because uh, they went to his parents to see if this man was indeed born blind. When they confirmed that he had been born blind, the Pharisees then had on their hand an undeniable miracle. This is not someone that wasn't formerly blind and there's just some schemer acting, but his parents say that he was blind. Now he clearly sees this is an undeniable miracle. And so this is much like other places. This is not the only place in Scripture we see this happening. We see other places in Scripture when there were irrefutable miracles that people tried to, you know, water down, dilute, disdain, so on and so forth. We find this in, in Acts chapters 3 and chapters number 4. And I have several different sections of verses of scripture I wish to share with you tonight. Acts chapter number four and verse number 14. This is the healing of a man who was lame that was carried daily to the gate called beautiful of the temple. And the Bible says, speaking of this man and beholding the man. So we have some of the hierarchy of the city, some of the hierarchy of the religious groups here. Uh, this healing has taken place and now they're beholding the man which was healed standing. So being that he was lame, but now standing, we understand here that we have a notable miracle with them. The Bible says, and who they are with is with Peter and John. Peter and John were very instrumental in the healing of the man that was lame. The Bible says, then these religious people could say nothing against it. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. So they set Peter and John and the lame man out, and they're going to have a little meeting about, uh, about this themselves. Verse 16 saying, what shall we do to these men? Right? Because they're wanting to do something. They, they caused quite a stir in the temple, and uh, there's been quite a crowd that's gathered. People are listening. What shall we do to these men? For that indeed, here's their confession. For indeed, a notable miracle hath been done by them. It's manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And they said, we cannot deny it. You know, we're already one strike against us. We would try to undercut the miracle. But this man is standing here with them. Everybody, he was carried daily there. People saw him. They know that this is an undeniable miracle. And so this is notable. We can't deny it, verse 17, but that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in his name. And reality, what they try to do then, since they can't deny the miracle, they want to silence then the people that were responsible, all right, being instruments of, of 
of allowing God to move through them for the miracle to take place and happen. So can't deny the miracle. We'll try to silence the people. And that's in some measures what we see happening in the gospel of John or what we will see happen before it's all said and done. They can't say anything against the man that was blind that now can see. That's a notable thing. We talked to his parents. He was blind. But before it's all said and done by means of crucifix and a cross, they're going to try to silence the miracle worker. Right? We can't do anything about the miracle, but we're going to try to do something about the miracle worker. So they tried to silence those that were involved in the miracle. Amen. They told in Acts, Peter and John, they told them. They said, whenever you leave here, don't speak any in the name of Jesus. And then in the gospel of John, again, they're going to, to crucify the Lord, thinking that they have silenced the miracle worker, silenced the voice of the miracle worker. But in reality, whenever they do this in John or any of the gospels that we see it recorded, when, we see, when they do this to Jesus, they didn't really silence Jesus. But in reality, they made his voice that much louder and his impact that much more noticeable, amen, by what they had done. And so the Pharisees have a problem on their hand. At least they see it as that. They have a problem on their hand. They have a problem with a verified miracle. Plus, not only that, they have a very excited, very convinced man who was the recipient of the miracle, right? It's not that this has just happened to him, but he's a little bit beside himself that it has happened to him. I mean, you've been blind since birth, and now you can see. I mean, it's like, oh, look, purple, yellow, you know, whatever. I can't even imagine uh, what's going on. But you have an excited, convinced man being a recipient of this miracle. And they're saying, this is what the Pharisees are saying, this Jesus, he's a sinner. He's a sinner. But all this man can say that's had this happen to him is that Jesus has forever changed my life. Jesus, we can say it like this, pardon the pun. Jesus has forever changed my outlook on life. Right? He, he's forever changed my life. And here's the proof. I was blind, but now I can see. All right? And so they want, the Pharisees want to undermine Jesus, but they're contending with a man with a legitimate personal testimony about what the Lord has done in his life. And it's hard to combat a personal testimony about what God has done in someone's life. For that matter, I say tonight, we need not underestimate the power of our personal testimonies all across this building tonight about what God has done in our individual lives. The man said in verse 25 of John 9, he said, he answered and said, whether he be Jesus, whether he be at this point, he, he really don't know. Remember, he's never seen him. He just, you know, felt his touch. Whether he be a sinner or no, he says, I know not. He said, but one thing I do know. He said, I'll tell you about what I don't know, but let me tell you what I do know. Whereas I was blind, he says, now I see. It would be hard for the Pharisees to combat and deny his personal change. What personally took place and happened to him. And what this mirrors and what this parallels much in our own personal experience in lives is salvation itself. Coming to the Lord and receiving the Holy Ghost and receiving this gift of salvation ourselves, Because salvation entails a change. Salvation entails a change at the very first step known as repentance. Because repentance in its most basic definition is is a change of mind, right? A change of mind. But whenever you couple that with baptism in Jesus' name, 
that's still change taking place. Because the Bible says repentance and baptism is for the remission, fancy word that's just for the removal, the removal of sins. That produces a change. There's another change there. And then ultimately receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, as Peter calls it, that divine power that equips us then to be partakers of his divine nature, right? To become more like Jesus, amen? All of that, that is again a change. And so when we think about this man blind, amen, to sightseeing, this ultimate change, personal testimony of a personal change, they would not be able to refute we have a personal change just through salvation through our repentance water baptism and the infilling of the holy ghost a change that likewise happens personally to us that can't be refuted as well salvation then should have this salvation should have this was me and this is me type of testimony right that that's what i was but this is now what i am type of testimony a change that takes place and so the actions of the pharisees went from the place of trying to refute the former blindness of this man now to the place will discredit jesus he is for sure healed in some way or fashion but will discredit jesus and so the pharisees insist this throughout chapter nine they start talking to the blind man they talk to his parents and they insist to the blind man that Jesus was not of God. They confidently say, as I've already pointed out, this man, speaking of Jesus, is a sinner. Because anybody that would have broken the Sabbath day, whoo, my Lord, they must be a sinner, right? And then they said they didn't know where Jesus came from. Although on multiple occasions in the Gospel of John, Jesus told them, I came from heaven. Or I came from above. So we have all these things. And so the Pharisee statement in verse number 24, and we'll look a little bit later in verse 28, is partial proof that they really did not realize who Jesus was. Look at verse number 24. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. Now look, they want this, this blind man to give God the praise. That term is used even in the Old Testament with Achan. Give God praise whenever he had hid the gold and garments under his tent when he shouldn't have. And they were trying to find. Basically, it's tell the truth. Give God the praise. Tell the truth. But at the same time, what's interesting to me, they're wanting him to tell the truth, right? Give God the praise. You're not going to lie before God, right? Give God the praise. The same time they say that, they label Jesus as a sinner. Now, the reason why I say they don't really understand who Jesus is is because understanding according to New Testament Scripture that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh as Jesus Christ. They must not know who he is because on one hand, they're telling the man, give God praise. On the other hand, they're calling Jesus God in human form, a sinner. Somebody hasn't made the connection yet, all right? Someone hasn't made it. Because how could you praise God and label the fleshly manifestation of God a sinner, right? They hadn't got it. Someone say they hadn't got it. They hadn't got it. Or at least they haven't even accepted it. Maybe they haven't. Maybe they just don't accept it. But at least they haven't got it. At this stage, the blind man, he hasn't, he hasn't captured the revelation that Jesus was God either quite yet. All right? 
He knows him to be a prophet. He knows him to be the person that, you know, was instrumental in producing this, this blindness to, you know, being able to see. So he hasn't quite got the revelation that he was God or the son of God. That comes a little bit later. But the initial response of the blind man is this. He didn't know if the man that healed him was a sinner. That's what he said. Whether he be a sinner or not, I know not. Right? That's where he's at. But then he carefully... This is, this is awesome. He carefully makes a deduction about some things that he did know about Jesus. All right? And so we have on one hand the Pharisees ignoring a lot of things that they knew about Jesus. And on the other hand, we have this man who was blind that starts to make some deductions. Basically with the exact same knowledge that the Pharisees had about this Jesus but when we look at this former blind man, I like him. Uh, I'd like to make friends with him. This former blind man was so overwhelmed with what happened to him personally that whenever the Pharisees, they questioned him twice. They, they questioned him, talked to his parents and questioned him. Whenever the Pharisees questioned him again with many questions about the how it happened, who did it, all these things that they'd asked before about the details, the, the former blind man mistakens all their inquiries as though they're interested in Jesus. I like it. I like it. I mean, if they came back to ask me again about it, they're probably interested in him themselves. Would you like to be disciples of Jesus, he said? I like him. Great guy. Right? He didn't put it off as bothersome. He was willing and ready to tell them again everything that he had already told them before. But he's just putting out a hook there. Are you interested in Jesus? Amen. Uh, do you really want to hear this? Do you want to be a, a, a disciple, which basically means a learner or a follower or a pupil of Jesus? Do you? And this had to be running all over the Pharisees, folks, because they're the very learned individuals. They know about the law and they know about everything that's gone and righteous and so for them to think that this guy thinks that they are going to sit themselves under another man and learn about something they know everything about had to be running all over them amen and we see again then in verses 28 and 29 the pharisees though misunderstanding of who jesus is again look at it in verse 28 uh, uh, John 9, then they reviled him, right? And said, thou art his disciple. In other words, you're a disciple of Jesus. You asked us, we want to be your disciple of Jesus. He said, but we are Moses' disciple. Uh-huh, right? We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, right? And they're referring to Jesus. God manifests in the flesh. We know not from whence he is. Again, clear picture that they didn't quite get who this Jesus guy was. It's like, you know, we're disciples of Moses, and we know that God spoke to Moses. But this guy? It's humorous to me because they're telling the blind man, you can be a disciple of his, but I'd much rather be the disciple of someone that heard from God. I'm just saying, I'd much rather be a disciple of someone that heard from God. Well, you know, to play the devil's advocate here, I'd much rather be the disciple of God himself. Right? God spoke to Moses, but as Jesus spoke, when Jesus spoke, they were hearing the very voice of God. So you all listen to Moses, and that's fine. We're not putting no dirt on Moses. He was good in his era and time for what he served in, right? But now we have Jesus. 
God manifested the flesh before God spoke through the man Moses, but now we have God speaking, right? As the man Christ Jesus. And so here they are. They just didn't quite get it. Here, here, here's what the one-time blind man deduced. This is awesome. He has the same knowledge. We'll find that out here in a little bit. He has the same knowledge. He, he equates that the knowledge he's using to deduce, what he's about ready to do to deduce. If you say to do, deduce, that's a little bit difficult. Nonetheless, what he's about ready to do here with his knowledge is the same knowledge that the Pharisees have. Look at this in verse number 30. The man answered and said unto them, why herein is a marvelous thing? This is the blind man speaking. Why herein is a marvelous thing? I love it. That ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now, look what the blind man says, or once blind, you understand. We know. Everybody say, we know. So he's not just talking about what he knows. He's talking about what common knowledge is, even with the Pharisees and him. We know. That God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him will he heareth. Now, just to back up just real quick in verse 31. God heareth not sinners. That is not talking to that. None of us would be able to ever be saved if God didn't hear sinners, right? But whenever we don't allow any space in our life for repentance and we just live a lifestyle of sin and we ignore God, you know, we got to open ourselves up to the grace that God has extended to us. So, nonetheless, now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man, notice any man, opened the eyes of one that was born blind? And, and, and honestly, throughout the Old Testament, it was not known. It was not known, not even to my mind's recollection of a blind eye being opened. In the Old Testament scripture, we had lepers healed and things like that, but not a blind eye be it open. They said, this has not happened. This has not happened since the world began. And so this man then has opened blind eyes, which we've never heard of. We know this, right? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. For that matter, back to verse 31, if this man was a sinner, huh? If this man was practicing that life and had no openness to the grace of God, he wouldn't be able to do what he did and you called him a sinner. He's making all this deduction with the same information that both he and they know, verse 34, they answered and said unto him, thou wast altogether born in sin. Now look at this. I mean, if you throw dirt, you're not gonna have any ground to stand on before long. They answered and said unto this, this blind man, thou wast altogether born in sins. Dost thou teach us? Here we are, their arrogance, right? Huh? How are you gonna teach us? You were born in the sin. And the Bible says they cast him out. Quite frankly, I think the deduction was wonderful because it's amazing that he gives this, this whole spiel, if you will, about everything that both he and they know. And through that knowledge, this man has basically reasoned that Jesus must be God and not a sinner because a sinner wouldn't be able to do this and no other person throughout history has healed a blind eye. Surely this must be God. And so the Pharisees are upset because they feel like the man is inferior to them. They feel superior. They feel like the man is inferior to them. And yet it seems like he's taken the teaching stand and he's teaching them about God. And you know what the fact is? He was. He really was. And they attack him 
you know, you go for the low blows whenever you feel like you're backed in the corner, right? And so they attack him and say, well, you were, you were born into sin. Well, yeah, that's uh, kind of good for me and uh, good for you and anybody else that walks in shoe leather, right? We were all born into sin. We're all born into sin. We're not a special class. The Pharisees weren't a special class. Sadducees, you could call yourself the children of Abraham. That didn't make you a special class. Regardless who we are, we've all been shaped into iniquity and born into sin, and we need the same sacrifice to amend, amen, the sins that we were born into. So even if these Pharisees could say, well, we're X number generation removed from the great father Abraham, well, that's great. But even Abraham needs a God, and even we need Christ. It doesn't matter what our pedigree is. It doesn't matter what our ancestry is. We all need forgiveness of sins. Romans says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, listen, I've said it a thousand times probably in my life. The ground is level at the cross. The ground's level at the cross. It's not that I approach it and I approach it at a higher level than James approaches it. No, 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 no. It's level at the cross. We're all sinners. All sinners. And the Bible says that these Pharisees cast him out. Now, you'll remember whenever we changed from chapter 8 to chapter 9, all of this had been taking place close and around the temple, the temple area and the temple grounds. And so they're still yet in that temple area proper, if you will. And so they cast him out of the temple or cast him out of the temple area. And what's, what's interesting about this, this being cast out is the very thing that kept the blind man's own mom and dad from saying too much about who healed him or how he was healed. Look at it, if you will. John 9 and verse number 21, the Bible says, this is the parents of the blind man here, but by what means they say he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. You know, it's kind of one of those things it's just best not to know right now. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because, because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he, Jesus, was Christ, the Messiah, he should be put out of the synagogue. And so the, 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 the man that was born blind and gave the confession of all this was cast out because he wasn't caught. And I say this very gingerly. All right, but when we talk about much of the synagogue and things that took place in synagogues in Jesus' day, they weren't, the blind man wasn't worried about being a part of religion or religiosity. Is someone hearing what I'm saying right now? He wasn't worried, he wasn't worried about being a part, per se, a system of faith, right? What I'm saying is this, they, they might have been able to keep him from being a part of the synagogue or a system of faith, but they couldn't keep him from Christ's church. Because the church isn't a building and pews and drywall and fabric. Amen. The church is a group of people that belong to the Lord and are his. And so the Pharisees had a system of faith. If you say all this, we're going to cast you out. And they did. And the mom or dad is like, I don't, I don't want to really say much about like how it happened or where it we just really don't know. You, know. you need to talk to the guy. Why? Because they didn't want to be separated from the system of faith. We got to be careful about being married to systems of faith and not being married to the maker. 
Perdition will get you caught up in being married to a system. But you need to be married to him. Amen. So the blind man's like, I guess I'm putting it all down on the line. You go cast me out of the temple. That's all right. He'd been touched by Jesus. God manifest in the flesh. So Jesus came. The Bible says that we would have life, that we'd have life and that we would receive that life by our faith and our repentance and our baptism and so on and so forth. So it's seen both here and in other portions of Scripture that blindness in part throughout God's word at different times, Old Testament and New Testament, is equated with those who, number one, may not believe the Lord or believe in the Lord. And number two, those who are trying to attack the ongoing work of God. Blindness is equated to these two groups or may even happen, come upon them literally, but what happens literally is just a mirror of what's happened really spiritually. And we've seen that in John 9. There's like two realms here, the natural realm and the spiritual realm. Amen. And the blind man receives his sight in both realms, not just naturally, but also his spiritual eyes are open. He's granted some understanding. And so we see this blindness many times equated to those who don't believe in the Lord or trying to hinder the ongoing work of the Lord. One instance in which we see this is in Acts chapter number 9. Uh, for instance, the Bible speaks of a man by the name of Saul, whose name will later be turned to Paul. And he is a persecutor of the church. He's trying to destroy uh, the church and those that are preaching in the name of Jesus. And the Bible says in Acts 9 that Saul was on his way to Damascus to get some letters from, and he had letters from the high officials to be able to find those that were uh, teaching in the name of Jesus and being able to imprison them. And so while he was on the road to Damascus, the Bible says that he was struck down on the way uh, on the road on his way to Damascus by a bright light which is interesting because we've seen over and over again in John that Christ calls himself the light of the world and so here is Saul struck down by a bright light he's been attacking the church those that have been preaching in Jesus name he's been attacking and 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 Saul hollers out and he says well uh, you know who art thou Lord and uh, the voice says I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. That's what the voice from heaven said. I am Jesus whom thou is persecuting. All right. He's been persecuting the church. The Lord is very much so tied with this church. Uh, Corinthians describes for us that Jesus is the head of his church. We are his body. And so when you touch his church, you have touched him. Don't mess with his bride. So he says, you know, you know, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. You've been, you've been persecuting me. Well, I've just been persecuting the church. Yeah, but that's my body. All right. Now look at it. Acts 9 and verse number 8. And Saul arose from the earth. So he's been struck down by the bright light. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight. So we have somebody here that's went blind. Neither did eat nor drink. More important, we have someone that was attacking the church, trying to hinder the ongoing work of God, and now they're struck blind. So there's this equating, if you will, with someone that's trying to attack the church or attack the things of God, and now they're blind. But then the Lord speaks to a good old boy, certain disciple, the Bible says, by Ananias. 
And Ananias is given a little bit of understanding concerning Saul, that he should go to him and talk to him and pray for him. And the Bible says that whenever Ananias went into Saul and said, my brother Saul, even Jesus told me come to see you and pray for you and you're, you're going to be a leader among kings and to the Gentiles and all this. And the Bible says as Ananias began to pray for him, Saul's eyes were opened again so that he might see. All right, now here's the thing. Ananias' visit was really twofold that we see in Acts chapter number nine. He even tells Saul, this is, this is my purpose for being here. Number one, that your sight would be restored. And number two, that you would receive the Holy Ghost. But that's not all that took place evidently. The purpose was served. Eyes were open. It doesn't tell us in scripture that he received the Holy Ghost, but that's the purpose that Ananias went there for. But the Bible does say that Saul got baptized. And that Holy Ghost and baptism and repentance, all stuff goes real well together. Amen. He was baptized and began preaching Christ in the synagogues. Look at this. He started doing the very thing that he once criticized. He started doing the very thing that he used to hinder, that he used to persecute others for. What happened? He's like the blind man, literally and spiritually. He's had a change, right? He, he's, he's been baptized. He's undoubtedly inferred, received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and his eyes are opened with that same point. And there's alteration. So he had blindness whenever he was working against the Lord, but now he's working for the Lord. He has sight, both on a literal level and a spiritual level. His whole world has opened up. And so the Lord struck him with a literal blindness, which is in part, really just mirroring the spiritual blindness he had, persecuting the church, doing wrong to these people, preaching in the name of Jesus. But all this was removed when his life was altered spiritually. No longer doing the persecution, but standing for the name of the Lord. So there's another example that I'd like to share with you here this evening as well. Another example in Acts chapter 13. The Bible speaks that blindness came upon one by the name of Elymas because of his sorceries and wickedness, but even goes beyond that. Elmas in Acts 13 tried to turn someone from the faith. There was someone interested in the Lord, and he tried to turn them from the faith. He was known, according to the scripture, we'll see here in just a moment, to always try to pervert the ways of the Lord. This is what the Bible says in Acts 13 and verse 6. And when they had gone through the aisle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul. I know there's a lot of name in there, folks, but we're namely looking at Elymas here. And desired to hear the word. Sergius Paulus desired to hear the word from Barnabas and Saul. But Elymas, the sorcerer, the same one who in verse 6 was called Bar-Jesus, Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them. So we have a, we have a guy that's interested knowing the word of the Lord, and we have another one interfering with that, Elymas. He's interfering with this man knowing the Lord. He's seeking to turn the deputy away from the faith. Look at verse 9. And this is interesting because where we were just in Acts 9, this is verse 9. Then Saul, who, was, who also is called Paul, that we just talked about, filled with the Holy Ghost, I like it, set his eyes on him, Right? Because what's about ready to take place here is neat because Paul's involved and he had something kind of similar happen to him. Amen. 
and verse 10, and said, oh, full of all subtility. He didn't cut any slack. Oh, full of all subtility and all mischief, thou child of the devil. That's pretty strong. Well, Elymas, remember, his his other known by was Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. So he said, you're not son of Jesus. Whoever There could have been more than one person named Jesus in Jesus' day. Please know. He said, you're not no son of Jesus. You're child of the devil. <laughs> Amen. Oh, that tickles me. Thou, thou enemy of all righteousness. Look, he said, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? So this, this isn't probably the first time that he's tried to interfere, right? Because he, he's in sorcery and wickedness. He's trying to pervert the ways of the Lord. Verse 11. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. So here we have, again, uh, equating a blindness with someone that's trying to hinder the work of the Lord. All right? Trying to pervert the way of someone that wanted to know more about the Lord, amen. Hindering people's faith was equated with blindness. Not believing in the Lord equated with blindness. The reason why this is important, important is because we read of the Pharisees in John, but again, we read similar stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know, we call it the harmony of the Gospels because we find many of the same stories throughout the Gospels, you know, retold from a different perspective or to a different audience, maybe a Jewish audience, another one, a Gentile audience, so on and so forth. And so when we get here in the Gospel of Matthew, it's important because these same Pharisee people, it's interesting to see what Jesus calls them. Jesus calls the Pharisees in Matthew at different places blind guides. At another place, he just directly calls them blind Pharisees. In another place in Matthew, he calls, he says this phrase. Many of you will know this. Some of you will, perhaps. If the blind, and he's referring to the Pharisees, if the blind lead the, they'll all, they'll all fall in the ditch. And so in John, he doesn't come just out blatantly and call them blind, but he has in a roundabout way here in chapter number nine. But Matthew was quite forthright. You are a bunch of blind guides, blind Pharisees. They weren't literally blind, but they couldn't see Jesus for who he was. And they were perverting, trying to deter people from following the Lord. John nine and verse 39 says this. And Jesus said, for judgment, I am coming to this world that they which see not might see and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said to him, so the Pharisees heard him say this, are we blind also? It's kind of like, what are you insinuating? Huh? I don't know. Maybe it's an honest question. Are we blind also? I might be superimposing myself on there, saying that maybe they felt like something was being insinuated. Verse 41, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. So the Pharisees say, are we blind? Uh, Mr. Mr. Keener in my reading said this. He said, Jesus responds that their very claim to see makes them all the more responsible for the light that has come to them. They've been exposed to the Lord. They've been exposed to Jesus, his word, his miracles, his own teachings. They've been exposed to all that. And so they have a high level of responsibility for what they have heard, right? All right? And so he says the light has come to them. And so if they refuse to believe after they have seen this light, right? 
Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. If they've seen this light, he says, then their sins remain with them. He says, what it comes down to is this, is that the Pharisees are really satisfied with their own condition. Huh? I don't feel condemned. I don't feel convicted because there's nothing wrong with me. The blind man was born into sins. That's the reason tonight I call this conceited blindness. Because they're blind in reality and they are proud about their condition, but they really are a little bit slow in coming to understand what their condition is, that they truly are blind, all right? Another one says, Jesus makes it quite clear here. It's not necessarily the Pharisees' sin that, that, that gets them in trouble here as much as it is that they've rejected God's grace. Hmm. Because, again, we all have that situation of sin, of being born in sin, sin in our life. But here's the question. We're all born into the sin. But here's where the choice is. What are you going to do with God's grace? Huh? I, I, I can't change the fact. None of us can change it. It's not like we can get the right parents and be born into a world without being a sinner. We're all going to start have that entry level of being a sinner. So that I don't really have a choice in that matter. I'm going to enter the world as that. But the choice is here. What are you going to do with God's grace? What are you going to do with the opportunity to change? What are you going to do with the opportunity to turn around? What are you going to do with that opportunity? Because if you reject it, then you're left in your sinful state. But if you accept it, huh? If you accept it. See, there is no cure for people who reject the only cure there is. Let me say that again. There is no cure for people who reject the only cure that there is. And Christ, our Lord, he is the only cure that there is, folks. And so if we reject him, we have rejected being cured. We're in the state in which we were brought into this world as. If you'll stand with me tonight, I want to go to Proverbs real quickly. And we'll wrap it up. Proverbs chapter number 26 and verse 12. Kind of um, is a bow to put on this, really. Kind of sums it all up in a verse. He says, seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Man that's wise in his own conceit. Because whenever you're, when you got conceited blindness, you can't tell a conceited blind person anything. Nope. Conceited blindness, conceited. No, no. They got to open themselves up. You can't help those who claim they need no help. You, you, you know, I've, I've read real stories you know, about people's houses being on fire and people hollering and knocking around, hey, your house is on fire, you'll get out there. And they don't do anything because they're not convinced there's a problem. And so you can't help those who claim they need no help, at least not until they realize they're in need of help. Let me say tonight, we're all in need of help. Just as much as anybody else, we are all in need of help. And I don't want to succumb to any conceited blindness because you were born into sin. Well, I was too. Yeah, yeah. Thank God that he touched and can touch our lives. And we can be like the former blind man, just overly excited and convinced about this and have fruits of change in our life that says this is who I was. But this is who I am. And it's all been because of the grace of God.
Hallelujah. Can we bow our heads all across this place tonight? Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.